He who fights monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. I am on the unfettered pursuit of truth. I'm Kayla Perry, and this is Honestly Unorthodox. All right, everybody, welcome to the grand reopening of Honestly Unorthodox. Today, I bring with me a brand new feature that I've been so excited to integrate into each episode. I have a handy dandy fact checker by the name of Kate. Kate, what's up, my friend? What's going on, Kayla? I am really excited today to have Kate here. Much like a Jamie on Joe Rogan, Kate will be here to basically be at my disposal, at any future guest disposal, to hop on Google, figure out stats, number figures, visuals, any information that might help to debunk ourselves, because that's what we try to do here. However, on today's episode, Kate and I will be diving into feminism and some of the hoopla around feminism debates. There's a lot of feminism debates on Vice right now. There's a lot of articles coming out about new cultural happenings in the feminism world. And we are going to try to maybe play a little devil's advocate towards the end in terms of supporting typical feminist arguments. Kate, I want to start with this article that we both looked at. This article was written by Susie Weiss. It was put out January 30th. So what was that? Three days ago? It's called, He Just Doesn't Want to Murder You. And it's about all of these women (laughs) in a Facebook group called, Are We Dating the Same Guy? Kate, what were your initial thoughts on this article? I mean, first of all, I've never been so grateful to have missed out on the whole dating culture, Tinder, internet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't imagine having gone through college and having that have been like the norm where you can just like order someone to come (laughs) hook up with. A mail order bride. (laughs) Yeah, that whole concept is just super crazy to me. And I'm, I'm grateful to have not experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the article itself was, I mean, it's just disgusting, really. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the word that comes to mind. It is. It's it's kind of a really sad view into how young women perceive men and perceive their place in a society that is obviously men and women. And again, we talk about the fact that one article doesn't speak for all women or even one group of 85,000 women doesn't speak for the, what, 30 million that are in America. Uh, but this, what really struck me with this was they seem so tied to this idea that this is a virtuous thing to just belittle and condescend and bully men. Well, I try to look at it from the other perspective too. Like, can you imagine stumbling across this exact format group of men sharing this type of information about women and how the absolute outrage and uproar that would, would stem from that? 
Oh, yeah, because they would all immediately be labeled a misogynist. And this would end up on MSNBC or Fox News or PragerU or whatever media outlet is out there saying, look at how toxic masculinity is legitimate. This is a legitimate concept. That's that's what I'm assuming what would have come out of it. Yeah, I think I think it would blow up. And for some reason, women seem to get away with things like this um, in a way that men don't or can't. Which was one of the prompts in, I can't remember, I think it was a Jubilee debate. And they had, Jubilee has had two debates come out. One of them was um, male feminists and male anti-feminists. And then they had all female feminists and anti-feminists. And I think it was the group of males um, where one of the prompts was, do women have it easier than they think? And obviously all of the feminist males and females said, oh, of course not. We are a marginalized, protected group. We're coveted because uh, we we are underrepresented or oppressed or whatever. But then the uh, anti-feminists all said something along the lines of women get lighter prison sentences. Women generally have a lot um they get lesser consequences in general. The education system favors women. The court system favors women. So it's really hard to argue against these facts. And considering that women get away with more than men, I'm going to read some of the rules from this group. So guys, you can't see what I'm reading and Kate can't either yet. But it says, this is a Facebook group. Title, are we dating the same guy? New York City, NYC. About this group. This group is a place for women to protect and empower other women while warning each other of men who might be liars, cheaters, abusers, or exhibit any type of toxic or dangerous behavior. What are your thoughts in that first line alone? <laughs> um, well, I, <laughs> I guess there's a lot of opinions there, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think... At some level, the idea, you know, these women who are out there, again, this like kind of Tinder culture, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're very, these people are very vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, they don't always take um, the best precautions when it comes to, you know, finding someone on the internet to go meet up with. And I think perhaps the original intention may have been, you know, a way for women to kind of shield themselves from all of the dangers of that situation but then it kind of it, it stretches and evolves and and there's like kind of name calling um and you're casting a lot of judgment on someone's character um it, the description kind of rolls beyond the you know let's keep each other safe kind of situation mm -hmm. and i in the 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 softy part of me that i refer to every now and again <laughs> i do understand that like you said kate there are women that are vulnerable there are women that maybe aren't as secure in their sense of self in their ability to advocate for themselves or even effectively navigate a situation where they have to tell somebody no i'm sure that makes it really difficult to trust your instinct and trust your abilities in those situations. What I really struggle with with things like this is I'm not sure how this empowers people if we just keep telling them that they will always be a victim in some way to some male entity trying to murder them. And if we're really going to go with facts here, I'm, what was the statistic recently? It was like over 80% of murder victims are men. So yep, I think I just looked at that actually. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard. That's another thing that's just hard to argue against. So I'm going to keep going here. There will be three main uses of this page. One, it can be used as a place where girls can warn other girls about toxic men, right? So first of all, how do you describe toxic? Two, it can also be used to inquire about men you're seeking or who you just met to see if anyone has had any experiences with that person to check to see if anyone posted any warnings about a man. And three, it is also a safe space for relationship support and advice in general. <laughs> Oof. I, I don't know which point to start with. I mean, the, the first one about toxic men, we go back to the toxic masculinity debate, which is toxic masculinity should just be called toxicity. I mean, the, 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 tra the traits Absolutely. baked into the supposed definition are things that women and men both do regularly. Yeah, such as creating a group where you all share intimate <laughs> details about other people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And when you go down this list, it's a very long intro. This is the thing that does get a little bit hypocritical about it. You just brought up a good point. You said starting a group to essentially defame people and uh, I guess shame them or call them out. Part of the rules state we strive to cultivate an atmosphere of female empowerment, acceptance, and support, and will not tolerate any bullying, gaslighting, shaming, victim blaming, or aggressive behavior towards any other girls in the group. Is mm. that not sexist? Yeah, a little discriminatory. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely is. I mean, okay, female empowerment, one, I find it sad that empowerment these days means uh, rightful, just justified uh, bullying and justified shaming people. What else is in here? Acceptance. Yeah, you could be accepted if you're a female in this group, it sounds like, and only on the basis that you're a female. But I just find it interesting that they're very adamant they will not tolerate any bullying, gaslighting, or shaming, but the entire group is built on bullying, gaslighting, and shaming. Yeah, again, I, I definitely go back to, can you imagine if the roles were reversed? Could you even imagine if this were a group run by men? It just, it blows my mind. Well, the toxicity, let's talk about the toxicity, I guess, personality trait or the toxic tendency that we all have within us. We're all human. I find it interesting that women will go to extreme lengths because I consider something like this an extreme length. How many men do we know would actually go this far to create a group, recruit a bunch of other men to discuss women, and create all these very strict but also contradictory parameters around what can be discussed and to what degree? I mean, if we're really talking about something like gaslighting, women are far more sophisticated in that than I think men will ever be. Yeah, I think this, at least in my experience with the men that I know, I mean, they're the amount of information they share between each other uh, would never even cross into this realm. Like um, one of our one of our very good male friends that's in my husband's circle of friends that we've been friends with since college just had a baby. Do you think he even knew that his wife was pregnant? Like, did, was that information ever even shared? I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean they had a baby? We didn't even know. Like, did anyone even know she was pregnant? And he was yeah. like, no. And I'm like, you don't. I'm like, do you, do you even know the baby's name? Like, mm -hmm. this is just not like the type of information that is generally shared. 
Yeah, Sebastian Maniscalco, he did a really funny skit about this where his wife was, when she was pregnant for the first time, he was saying, you know, we kept getting a bunch of questions. Are you going to do a pregnancy announcement? And he said, yeah, we told people by announcing that we were pregnant. We just told them. (laughs) There was no reveal party or we're pregnant. Let's make it a full on photo shoot and, you know, um, organize all of these cute little backdrops for social media it was hey by the way we're pregnant that's that's it right so i think that just is a fundamental difference right like uh, between the sexes where women tend to gossip they want to talk about these things they want to share these these feelings and this information and it just isn't something that tends to be relevant a thousand percent so i'm gonna I can't, I don't have access to this group, but the author of the article who brought my attention to this group, Susie Weiss, she brings up some quotes from people within it that I'm going to read out here a little bit. There was a man, well, a, a young man named Evan. His name was, or his name, his name was Evan, his age, 26 years old. Apparently he is five feet, eight inches tall, and he's graduating from Berkeley. Next to his name, the women have taken to adding three red flags for the following reasons. He struggles with empathy. He never tells you what he needs and expects you to guess what he wants. He sounds like a classic love bomber to me. He has borderline personality disorder. This push and pull is part of the hunt if he is a covert narcissist. They are skilled predators and usually have had the same relationship over and over again. So... If we're trying to move away from stereotyping and we're trying to create a more amicable, accepting, understanding relationship with men, I think that would be very hard to do by looking at some guy's name, counting the number of red flags and saying, I think he's going to kill me in my sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, I would agree with you. (laughs) Uh, Like... And these women know nothing about Evan. That's the thing. They don't know anything about, they really, well, it sounds like they know very minimal about a lot of the guys that are brought up in this, are we dating the same guy group? So even one date, two dates, even five dates, you have no idea who a person is after five dates, especially what's, I don't know. I never actually dated anybody. I mean, me and my husband were kind of like, we're getting married, right? That's that's what we're going to do. Awesome. So I'm not familiar. I'm ignorant to how dating goes now. Do you know anything about how dating works out like after Tinder? Honestly, no, I don't. Oh, I think I've witnessed, you know, some some friends go through this. Yeah, we're too old. We, we <laughs> kind of missed this whole thing. This Thank was God. never a thing. It ne- Thank God is right. Oh. Um, but I guess that kind of lends itself to like how much the internet has kind of like ruined some things that used to just be kind of simple, right? Like these, these groups didn't exist to have these kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, there were no, there were no apps. There were no, no one was sliding in anyone's DMs, right? That just didn't exist. Never. I, I mean, I, <laughs> Sliding in the DMs, I, I love how that's become its own little verb and network of uh, semantic <laughs> language. But here is a proposed reason that Susie Weiss claims women love to not only uh, be on constant alert that they're being murdered, but love murder in general. 
The fairer sex of women makes up 73% of true crime podcast listeners and 80% of all of the attendees of CrimeCon, which is a true crime convention held this year in Orlando, which can set you back anywhere from $300 to $1,500. Women also read true crime books at higher rates than men. And admittedly who doesn't love a good crime story i love crime documentaries i love everything related to murder but when we start pulling convenient stats and facts from these sorts of things and applying it to our life and justifying or attempting to rationalize see men are toxic and cruel i think that's when it becomes a major issue I agree. And I think it's really interesting the the fascination that that women have with crime. I I mean, I I love me some, you know, criminal minds and you know, that's too. what I take a nap. That's what I nap to on the couch, right? That's your nightlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um and so to then take something that you claim to um enjoy even and then uh try to kind of project that onto men that you're dating is just it, it's an inter- interesting psychological phenomenon I think mm-hmm. um where maybe there's kind of this weird you know fantasy crossover where you're 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 so obsessed with what you see on tv or you know true crime as well and you're like oh well I'm gonna path you know pathologize this person based off of what I've seen in this you know crime tv show right mm-hmm mm-hmm Kate, let's move into the concept of feminism itself, because we've we've looked at this article. We read a few of the quote unquote principles of what it means to be in this group. And the principles in this group really scream to me, and you could tell me your thoughts on this. It screams, for lack of a better word, privilege. If you and I don't mean that in the way that's been politicized, but if you have the capability of going on Tinder, you have a phone, you have a community of women that are validating and supporting you, you really have the world at your fingertips. I don't understand how that could scream oppression. Uh, So I'm wondering what current feminism is actually fighting for. One of the arguments I saw recently in my comment section was, women may have legal equality, but they don't have social equality. What do you make of that? Oh, man, I have just so many thoughts on this. Um, (laughs) I think it's it really starts with the word equality, right? Like, what does Mm -hmm. anyone really mean Mm -hmm. when they say the word equality? Um, I hear the word equality and I think same, right? Right. Um, Do feminists actually want the same? Mm. Is that what they want? Um, and when they say same, do you mean you want the same standards put upon men and women? Mm-hmm. Do you want the same access? So, for example, do you want 50% of your military to be women? Do you want 50% of your fire and police force to be women? Do you want 50% of your teaching force to be men? Um, you know, 50-50, right? Or if mm. we're talking standards... Um, the easiest analogy I can make is to sports. So do you want the same uh, Olympic qualifying totals um, for lifting to be the same across men and women? Do you want the Mm -hmm. uh, swimming race times that are needed to qualify to be the same for men and women? 
right? So if you're going to throw around the word word equality, Mm. then you kind of need to clarify what what exactly you're you're getting at because I don't yeah. think either of those I don't think either of those um, outcomes either standards based or um, you know numbers or pop- population kind of percentage fifty fifty based is is good for for society. I don't think so either. And I want to get to that really good point you brought up about Olympic totals and and people uh, or even 50-50% in the Navy or, uh, you know, special forces or what have you. What I'm particularly interested in is a typical argument that we see from feminists that there isn't enough representation for women. All of the men are in positions of power. Why are there no women in Jeff Bezos type of roles? And what my response would be is, well, it has to be across the board then. So I don't see many women vying for positions in construction. I don't see many women vying for positions in bricklaying or or window installation or in very dangerous roles that are 99% men. So why is it only women wanting to be in a powerful quote unquote position? Yeah. So as you were talking, I was just thinking about um, we have a couple of uh, Vogue Tech trade schools, um, you know, near where I live. Mm -hmm. And my niece actually attended one. And um, in their freshman year, they are exposed to all of the different um, shops and trades, regardless of Mm -hmm. um, male or female, right? You spend two weeks in culinary, you spend two weeks in auto body shop, you spend two weeks in uh, healthcare, you spend two weeks in uh, carpentry, right? So equal opportunity for sure, right? Everyone gets the same shake at every, um, every possible occupation path. Ultimately, I don't have the exact numbers Mm -hmm. in front of me, but you can, you can guess that, that, um, you know, sure, there are a few females that are in kind of those more, um, traditional male trades, right? Carpentry and auto body, right? But overall, they're dominated by male students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not for mm-hmm. lack of opportunity. Um, when it comes to positions of power, right? I mean, we're behavior- yeah, we're behavior analysts, we know that power, you know, especially in a job force equals more money, equals being able to, to have people do things in a way that you want that benefits you ultimately. Um, who wants to do all the work it takes to get get into that spot, right? If if all of the work underneath you is uh, something you're not interested in. Yeah. And then there's the, the argument that, well, part of it is that maybe so few women have been in traditionally male dominated roles like trades or um, I guess, well, law can't even be considered male dominated anymore because it's like 41% women. Uh, But in traditionally male dominated roles, you still see very few women, even though they all have the opportunity. So my first hypothesis would be, well, let's look at the personality traits of women and the interests of women. When feminists hear this argument, they say, well, it's less about interests and it's more about the fact that we just haven't seen a good example of women and society grooms us into more female dominated roles. What would your response be to, uh, to that rebuttal? You know, I think 
everyone's upbringing and uh, environmental factors and, and social factors have influence in that for sure. Um, I, I don't think we can deny the fact that um, women tend to be pushed towards certain occupations that maybe are complemented by female traits, right? You're, you're kind of caregivers and uh, teachers, right? Um, but as far as they're not being a good example yet, I mean, I think it would be pretty hard to find almost any occupation out there that doesn't have at least a few very competent females in it. Absolutely. I agree. It sounds kind of like an excuse. Yeah. It it sounds like an excuse in the sense of, well, I'm not willing to put forth the energy and uh, all of the requirements for something like this. So I'm going to say that it's because of society. And like you said, I do agree that there are some aspects of society where women are more nurturing. So they would they would fare better in a therapy or an education role or women are generally more drawn to or are they they're rewarded more by social interaction than they are uh, you know analytics or finance so I, I agree with those things to a degree but again if we're all adults that can make our own decisions why don't we put it on uh, like the onus of the person to say, okay, there's a lot of women in education, but I would rather be, uh, you know, a chemist. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's on, it's on every individual person to take charge and, and do whatever it is that they want to do. I mean, I've been a female in male dominated sports uh, since I was a little kid. I was the only girl on my all boys ice hockey team. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, maybe part of that was because my parents always treated me like in a way that I was told I could do anything I wanted to do. It didn't matter if it was, you know, something that was traditionally for boys or for girls. They, You want to do that? You can do whatever you want to do. Um, you know, those limits were never really put on me. Um, but I imagine they are put on some people. Absolutely. I I completely agree with you. And I think culture plays a huge role too. I mean, the cultures that some of us grew up in, even if we live in America, there are some cultures that strongly urge women to be in male-dominated roles like, and again, I don't have these stats in front of me in terms of the, the female versus male ratio in something like neurosurgery. Um, for a while, it was kind of dominated by men. So there are some cultures that push women into male-dominated roles. There are some cultures that shun the concept of a woman in a male-dominated role. So culture certainly plays a part. And while we're on the topic of culture, fourth wave feminism. This is a tough one to try to figure out what they're fighting for and what they want, because this started around 2012 and when uh, i think that as they started realizing they did have equal opportunity they said you know what there's no argument here let's focus on sexual harassment let's focus on rape culture and let's focus on using social media to try to highlight uh the all of these issues that are rampant among american culture do you think that america is a rape culture 
Uh, I think there are people in America who subscribe to rape culture. I don't think America is a rape culture. I think um, I think evil exists, right? There are always going to be bad people who subscribe to bad things. Um, and I, but I think when you uh, kind of cast this large net on, you know, in this case, essentially on men, right? Uh, that's problematic. Um, kind of hate to use that word problematic, right? But um, mm-hmm. it's it's incredibly mm-hmm. unfair uh, to do so. Yeah, and it speaks to how women are have it a lot easier in some ways than men. Because imagine there are men that are raped. I don't see many you know, slut walks for men where they're walking down the street almost completely naked that claiming that they advocate for the dignity and the support of men who have been raped. It's just something that, again, women are able to do where they could walk around screaming and almost naked saying, stop objectifying me, even though I'm shaking my boobs in your face (laughs) and claiming that this is for the the greater good and that this is empowering. So that's where I really struggle with what exactly does it mean to be a feminist in 2023? I I, I just have no idea. I'm not sure any uh, one who claims to be a feminist in 2023 knows what it means to be a feminist in 2023, (laughs) uh, which I think I think is one of the biggest issues with with that word or with this movement, if you even want to call it that. There's no clear agenda. Mm-hmm. There's no clear mission. Um, and there are so many groups of people that are doing things um, like you just described that are so off-putting to, um, to I think, a lot of women and men. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like bad PR for this idea mm-hmm. that at its core is good and fairly. And I don't think that that messaging is, is negative at all. Right. Like as a female, I want to be treated fairly. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, um, you know, told I can't do things. Um, but when that kind of more simple message is overshadowed by things like, me too and the rape culture and toxic masculinity and all these other kind of buzzword conversations it it overshadows what could simply be women want to be treated fair Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because the guest who was supposed to join us today the, the reason for inviting her was that she is someone that subscribes to feminism and claims she's a feminist. And I thought that would be a really great conversation to have because I was trying to understand what someone's, someone younger than me, what their definition of feminism would be. And what I find is that it's a lot of, as soon as you can't come up with a reason for, or or any barriers that women have, then it turns into the conversation of, well, what about women of color? What about disabled women? Because feminism is intersectional. And like, it's just the whole definition of feminism is so all over the place. And they claim feminism is different for each woman. But then they turn right around and say, well, if you do XYZ, then you're not a feminist. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's this weird club that has no rules, except Mm -hmm. for the rules are that if you don't subscribe to all of the invisible rules, you can't be a member. 
Exactly. The unwritten rules that changed constantly too. I, I keep thinking about this term empowerment. I keep thinking about, oh, feminism is empowering. Uh, you know, I imagine 23 year olds that really have faced minimal barriers outside of what a, a typical 23 year old faces uh, don't quite understand what feminism is. What I will say is I've noticed a huge rise in very promiscuous, I shouldn't say huge rise in promiscuous behavior, but the celebration of promiscuity and the celebration of sex work. And now there's this notion coming from feminists that stop stigmatizing sex work, stop stigmatizing a naked body. And yeah, I don't think we should be cruel to people that are porn stars. I don't think we should be cruel to people that are prostitutes. But, you know, when does it become like a little bit of stigmatizing is actually adaptive for society? Because I don't think that it's it should be celebrated that 19 year olds are moving to OnlyFans because they don't want an actual job. So it's funny because I think one of the, oh, let me see if I can pull it up here. One of the kind of definitions um, for feminism includes something about, um, you know, getting rid of uh, exploitation of mm -hmm. women, um, which seems a little hypocritical, doesn't it? <laughs> A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah, for me personally, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think anyone should be um, mistreated for their occupation. I'm all for treating people, fizz, but there's a difference between kind of that level of respect and fairness and celebration, right? And mm -hmm. how can you um, be be against the exploitation of women while celebrating essentially the exploitation of women? <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> let's compare this again. Let's do a nice little side-by-side -side comparison here. So there are women who dress very, uh, they're very scantily clad women whose boobs are hanging out, whose underwear are considered shorts and what they wear to the gym is basically a thong bikini and so if people were to stare at them um, it's considered stop objectifying me i mean there were videos recently where these women started recording themselves at the gym barely dressed and then complain that women were staring what i think is okay if a man were to walk in in a speedo people would stare at him men and women would stare at him men and women also stare at these women wearing basically nothing so it it has nothing to do and i'm sure in most cases with i'm a predator and i'm going to rape you in the bathroom it's more like what are you actually wearing <laughs> <laughs> Right. And you got to look at, you know, what was your goal or meant was the first thing that ran through your mind. Attention. Right. Attention is why you put that outfit on in the first place. Attention is what you're hoping to garner by maybe posting the video you took of yourself in the outfit with the people in the background staring at you. Right. So you got you got double dose of attention um, and then more attention from the comments you receive from other people saying, Oh my God, I can't believe those people are looking at you. Mm -hmm. So on and so forth. It's just, it's an attention grab. Here's what I think about this whole attention grab with not only these 
gym videos and trying to catch all men in some sort of gotcha moment. But OnlyFans and porn in general, you know, these things are claiming to empower women, like you said earlier, Kate, by saying I'm exploiting myself and it's empowerment when I say so. But if I'm exploited and I'm uncomfortable about it or I don't get the attention that I believe I deserve or want, then it's true exploitation. I just, that seems very disempowering to women if we're going to really use the word empowerment. I agree. And I also think it's really interesting uh, how much women are able to kind of take advantage of even take advantage of men in that those types of situations, right with like the OnlyFans Mm -hmm. and world of being able to make money off of someone else's um, sure you've seen, especially coming from teachers, right people who are like, I'm quitting my job and selling pictures of me smashing cakes with my toes on OnlyFans, right? I make mm-hmm. you know three times as much money as I made as a teacher, things like that. Like, uh, <laughs> in some ways, it's a little comical, right? Like, mm-hmm. to be able to make money off something like that. But you're also you're t- you're also taking money from someone else in that situation. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know if that makes you powerful. Yeah, because we've women scorned at the idea of Andrew Tate in the sense that all he talked about was I have so many women in my, you know, in my man cave and I have sex with all of them repeatedly and they all clean my kitchen. So him talking about how he treats women is completely disgusting and a glaring emblem of misogyny. Whereas we have women now saying, look at all of these men. And it's like, oh my gosh, yes, queen. He was so disgusting. (laughs) It's just, it's completely backwards. (laughs) Yes. You articulated that much better than, than I did, but uh, it goes back to kind of the, the original article um, that we were discussing at the beginning you know, Mm -hmm. people would seemingly be much more upset about the situation when you kind of flip, flip the genders. I, um, I have a quote here from an OnlyFans creator. In a recent podcast interview, 23-year-old OnlyFans content creator Stella Berry shared her experience creating sexual content for the site and how she has turned her body into a financial commodity worth $200,000 a month. Berry quotes, I don't have any boundaries. It's crazy, but I don't have any. I have gotten strep five times from licking my own poop off of people. I'm telling you, I have no boundaries in the name of financial gain. (laughs) I mean, wow. Just wow. But that's empowerment? Yeah, I would love to find someone who identifies as a feminist. Explain that. That's why I wish our guest was here. And just as we kind of wrap up here, I would like your thoughts on this too, Kate. One of the reasons we decided to go the Joe Rogan-esque style of bringing a little fact checker in and just bringing more uh, more meaning and making a more well-rounded conversation for everybody was so that 
not to hold people accountable and say, haha, your facts are wrong, but there's no way for all of us to remember every single fact that we've ever um, read or heard. And why do you think the fact that there are facts available would be off-putting to some people? Not every source is, in fact, a fact, right? There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of infographics and memes and um, news headlines that are misleading, right? And I think a lot of times people um, kind of absorb those and, and stuff them away in their brain as as facts and uh, debate points and uh, supporting arguments. And mm. I think, you know, anytime you go, it can often conflict with those infographics, memes and headlines that you, you took as truth. Um, I'll be honest, it's happened to me before. Um, you know, I might think I have some, some great argument. And when you look at the actual facts and statistics, it can be really eye-opening. Honestly, for me, I, in a good way. Like I, I, I love, in a lot of ways, finding out that what I thought wasn't true. Um, mm -hmm. In the same way, I like to let other people know who who feel our situation, um, letting them know that, like, hey, man, that's that's not actually, you know, that's not fact. Um, mm -hmm. I know we were chatting earlier about, um, not to get too off topic about um, current events here um, with the Tyree Nichols incident, but on The View, mm -hmm. um, Whoopi Goldberg said, is it going to take a white person being brutalized by police for change to be made? And immediately I thought, well, gee, I can't think of any white people who have been brutalized by police. But there's no chance that it hasn't happened. Plenty of mm -hmm. white people who are brutalized by police. Of course, mm -hmm. we have, you know, differences in population size and whatnot that that impact that. And I completely understand that. But if you were listening to The View and you subscribe to everything that comes out of Whoopi Goldberg's mouth, then you might have thought, yes, only uh, people of color are brutalized by police and white people are not. So just a, just a little example tidbit about how facts can help uh, people discern opinions from facts. Yeah, because the headlines we see can be very convincing. And if we've already subscribed to a person that we believe is our beacon of truth, we're going to have a really hard time convincing ourselves that anything they say could possibly be false. And I think that's scary for some people. I tried really hard to be empathetic in how ego shattering it could be to find out that what we thought was true was actually completely false. And we were, especially if we were very public about this is true, this is what I believe, this is what all of you should believe, it can be embarrassing to a degree to find that you were completely misled. But I think if all of us approach these things with the humility and the confidence to be able to say I was completely wrong, then it would make it more comfortable for other people to say the same thing. And I would just wonder what conversations, how different conversations would be if we were able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's part of the human condition to have opinions, right? Or we all form opinions and thoughts about uh, situations, uh, things across the political spectrum, what have you. Um, but if you don't have that willingness to, 
you know, have these conversations. And what makes having difficult conversations easier is having facts to kind of help break through the uh, back and forth of of opinion gabbing, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We could argue back and forth all day about something that we both disagree with. But, you know, the the kind of knife that cuts through all the bullshit is the actual facts and the statistics that exist. And it's, it's not difficult information to come by. Uh, it can be difficult to come by an accurate source. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we both know when it comes to data, there's certainly ways to kind of manipulate and uh, display data in a way that can uh, help or hurt an argument, right? Um, mm-hmm. So understanding where to find you know, legitimate fact and legitimate data is important, but um, it's it's the best way to have a, a difficult conversation, in my opinion. I agree, because then, like you said, it really just becomes this circular story where you're going back and forth and back and forth. You could spew your opinions all day long, and the other person could too, without anything to, without any drawing board of a basis in reality, that conversation will get nowhere because it's then it's just a battle of whose opinion is louder or whose opinion is stronger. All right, Kate, as we wrap up, you are a behavior analyst that works with RBTs and younger behavior analysts, as am I in a different sense. What do you think might be a great place for behavior analysts to start in terms of fostering more critical thinking in younger people? Oh, man, that's a great question, (laughs) because I think that (laughs) um, they're not getting it from their coursework. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if it, if it's not being provided through their supervision, um, mm-hmm. it seems to be something that's kind of being stifled. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly feel that way about behavior analysis in general, uh, even in my own coursework. It's very much like this is the way, Cooper yes. book only, Jabba is the Bible, everything else Mm -hmm. sucks. Um, And, you know, that messaging doesn't necessarily help anybody think critically. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're kind of spoon fed these, these uh, things that are supposed to be kind of the only tried and true things. Um, And so, you know, as a supervisor, I, you know, try to promote critical thinking by a little bit of uh, baptism by fire, sink or swim. You know, I like to give my supervisees assignments with very little guidance. Let them see, Mm -hmm. let me see what they can come up with, tear it apart with them, you know, in a gentle-ish way, um, and then let them kind of revise it. Um, I don't like to kind of spoon feed them things or, um, you know, here's a whole template for an FBA. Now you do it. I'm like, here's the components Mm -hmm. you need. Go do it. And when stuff is missing or incorrect, we're going to find all those things and fix them if that answers your question. But yeah, that perfectly answers my question. And I, I think that that's the most important thing is moving away from every piece of learning being a template or an outline or you fill in the blanks learning that's not education filling in the blanks is not education and i've had some students 
Yeah. And I've had some students that I've given, cause I'm very similar to you. And when I work with uh, practicum students where they'll say your directions were really vague. I was like, that's the point is that they're vague. And they'll ask me for a template. And I say, no, I don't, I don't have one. What will reading from something I wrote do for you? Yeah. Or I like to give some what not to do's as well. Mm -hmm. Like instead of a template, I'll be like, here's what not to do. Mm -hmm. Like, here's a copy of something someone else did that wasn't good. So make sure yours doesn't look like this. <laughs> <laughs> a few times. Like, I, I, I don't know a better way to say it. Like, um, and especially if you don't fall on your face a few times before you've even actually entered your career, things are going to be real bad for you when you fall on your face mm -hmm. when you're actually, you know, a, a practicing clinician. Can you imagine if the first time you messed up was when you were like, actually had re real responsibilities? <laughs> oh, my God. And that's what I think is different now, too, is this not only we see gentle parenting and uh, gentle therapy, but gentle education. How is it possible that we find it empowering and dignifying to make sure that feelings and the comfort of students is more important than them actually using these skills? And if that means you fail and your supervisor makes you cry because of how brutally you failed, that is a much more meaningful learning opportunity than going off of a template and then just being given these very gentle little sources of feedback, not using red pen because that's too triggering these days too. <laughs> well, I think the the other thing that's difficult too, and you know, especially in um, both the field of behavior analysis and education, and even we're seeing in like hospital settings, right, is that staffing is at an all time low. Mm -hmm. And so, as much as I'd love to say, you know, when you're in the real world, like no one's going to put up with this. Yeah, workplaces are putting up with a lot. Um, workplaces have had to become gentle That's or else true. they wouldn't have any staff. Um, mm -hmm. And so as much as the world we grew up in was like, oh no, you're never late for work. Like, or you'll get, like, you mm -hmm. could get fired or like, you don't, you know, disrespect your boss. You could get fired. Um, no one's firing anybody because nobody has anybody. Anybody else. And so... Yeah. Right. Um, and so it's kind of a, a difficult line of wanting to kind of build young, resilient people when the workforce they're crossing into doesn't actually require that. Yeah. And that's a really good point, too, in the sense of we honor resilience and perseverance. And we want to instill these really important traits in our students. But if they're not being asked to exercise any of these skills and the place where the, the workforce that they're going into doesn't want have any interest in upholding these things, then what the hell do we do? <laughs> yeah, and I don't necessarily think it's a lack of interest, no staff. Well, Kate, I weep for the future but I am hopeful that the tide is turning. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I can't wait to have you as my personal permanent fact checker on Honestly Unorthodox. Thanks for having me, Kayla. Yep, we'll see you next time. <laughs>